on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight. And I'm thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts. Two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Professor Irvin Laszlo, is a world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, author, co-author, or editor of 101 books that have appeared in a total of 23 languages. He has also written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. He's a member of numerous scientific bodies, including the International Academy of Science, the World Academy of Arts and Science. He's the founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and the recipient of various honors and awards such as Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir Peace Prize, the Luxembourg Peace Prize, and he's received honorary PhDs from the United States, Canada, France, Finland, and Hungary. And Fred Sau, a business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author and chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, where ancient wisdom and quantum science are fused to create a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life that's mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. I'd like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience for whom some are lucky enough to be thriving in this remarkable new environment, but for so many, they are not. It's a challenge. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community, helping us awaken to a new paradigm and a new era of well-being. We encourage you to not only read the book and hear the podcast, but to feel them to start awakening your senses to different ways of perceiving beyond just our eyes, just our ears, because this is the space that Irvin and Fred refer to as consciousness, and that's our comfort zone for the long term. So before I introduce today's wonderful guest, Kingsley Dennis, let's get creative and talk about storylines, Irvin. In a previous podcast, we talked with Gary Jacobs about how important creativity in the arts might be in transitioning our old paradigm, paradigm storyline to a more holistic and uplifting new one. Um, it's a funny time to be trying to bridge East and West, given political tensions between two dominant superpowers. To the East, the predominant storyline is one China. To the West, the predominant storyline is democracy. So what happens when storylines, if you will, collide? And if people discover their own new storyline, which might be different and independent from that of their governments or even religions, especially as consciousness becomes more evident in their lives and everything is being questioned. Irvin, what do you think about this in our storyline? There is only one storyline that helps us survive and eventually to thrive on this planet. That's the storyline that we call also with Kingsley in the, in the Glasgow Institute of New Paradigm Research, we call it the new paradigm. The new paradigm is something that it takes its inspiration, takes its basis from science, but it's something that is, as you say, that's something that we can feel, that we can breathe, live and breathe. It has to be part of us. There is no other line of story for humanity than one of collaboration and oneness. Not uniformity, of course, but unity in diversity. And we have to communicate that somehow, that story, because the, the conflicts are fragments, like are fragmentary stories. The, the polit political conflicts are just the conflicts of excerpts from the real story, which are superficial excerpts. So we have to get beyond that. We have to find a new common storyline, and which is the storyline which is really based on a new paradigm, which is a difficult, different way of looking at the world, looking at ourselves and the world. Our guest today, 
Kingsley Dennis, you will be introducing him, I know, in a moment. I mean, just mention that he is a prolific author, writer, and editor, and works for the, for, as the head of the publishing uh, publications program of the Laszlo Institute. He is uh, uh, highly, highly qualified to communicate this new storyline, which is not with the West or with the East, which is, it is with humanity, which is with all of us all together. So once you introduce Kingsley, I'd like to uh, chat with him about the commu communicating this new storyline, as you say. With pleasure, Irvin, and that is precisely why I wanted to bring up storyline as our through line for today's discussion. So, on that dynamic note, let me introduce today's special guest, Kingsley Dennis. He's a researcher and writer. He's the author of several critically acclaimed books, including Healing the Wounded Mind, Bardo Times, The Phoenix Generation, New Consciousness for a New World, Struggle for Your Mind, After the Car, and the celebrated Dawn of the Akashic Age with you, Irvin Laszlo. Kingsley runs his own book publishing imprint called Beautiful Traitor Books. As well as nonfiction, Kingsley has published fiction, sci-fi novels, and children's books, such as the beloved The Saffron Collectors and Sophie's Search for Nowhere. <laughs> Kingsley is the author of numerous articles on global technologies, new media communications, modern lifestyles, well-being, science, and spirituality, and consciousness evolution. Kingsley, welcome. Welcome to our new storyline. And I want to ask you a few questions to uh, further jumpstart this very intriguing conversation. You do talk a lot about storylines within the human through line and how that's been used to sort of keep us in check, to manage us by governments, religion, and so forth. Can humanity survive without storylines, or does our species? inherently need storyline as almost part of our DNA. And one other point, and then you can expand on this, as our expanding storylines um, emerge, are they expanding from our place of ego, or are they expanding based on awareness and newfound consciousness? In other words, is consciousness now our new great storyline, or does it even transcend a story? Kingsley, welcome. <laughs> well, thank you, Alison. Uh, a great pleasure to be here. And again, a pleasure to be uh, united with uh, Irvin as well. Um, I mean, what you've said is, is exactly spot on, is that uh, storylines and narratives, these are what give humanity um, meaning and purpose. Uh, in each epoch in history, we've had a narrative that has defined or has been a defining factor in the, the story of that, of that age. And that, that kind of then influences um, all the other stories that come in, like politics and science and, and, you know, and social issues, whether humanity, um, you know, whether the, uh, the Earth is the centre of the solar system. We've gone through many scientific paradigms. And, and, and stories and narratives are like the threads, <clears throat> threads of a, of, a, um, you know, of a tapestry. And these are threads which, which weave a tapestry in different colours. And the question is, <clears throat> is a tapestry being woven from, from uh, say, an external narrative through, through these institutions of society and politics, or is it being woven through, a, let's say, an interior narrative consciousness? Now, at certain times, let's say history, take that analogy of, of being a tapestry. The tapestry has changed different colours over time. And sometimes we see a tapestry and we think that's a wonderful, harmonious design. And that's been a certain kind of coherence. And at other times we can say that those colours don't mix, they don't, they, you know, they clash. And so really, we can say that about our stories and narratives. And, and as you, you rightly said in the, um, when you spoke with Irving um, in the question before, there's been these exterior narratives where, you know, there's been uh, civilizations vying to be the unipolar civilization. But, you know, this doesn't work because this brings a clash, a clash of ideologies, which obviously is a clash of colours. Ultimately, we have to realise that the stories we tell ourselves give us meaning. They give us purpose because they give us a sense of belonging. And if we don't have a coherent sense of belonging, 
then we lose that harmony, that balance. And, and as, as Irvin has pointed out in his work over the decades, uh, a, you know, a balance and harmony is an evolutionary uh, vector, it's an evolutionary impulse. And so if we lose that harmony, then we lose that evolutionary momentum. And this is why we're coming to a critical time now, because we are coming to a point where we've realised that certain narratives, the incumbent narratives that have brought us to where we are now, are no longer take, going to take to the next stage. And, uh, you know, there's, there's an old, to finish off, there's an old Eastern uh, aphorism which says, you would ride your donkey to the front door of your house, but you wouldn't ride it into your house, which means that when you get to the front door, you would get off the donkey and enter your house, quite literally. But metaphorically, it means that certain vehicles can take us to a point where we need to get off them and leave them behind to step on to the next stage. And I think that's a perfect analogy because we need to come home to ourselves. We need to, we need to step into the house of humanity. And therefore, that's why we need this new paradigm, a new story, because we've come to the front door of the house of humanity. And to go forward, that house has to be a house of many rooms, but of one family, and that family is humanity. Kingsley, you know, you have been articulating also with us this new storyline, which we call the new paradigm for, for, for life and living and, and based on the new sciences, but ultimately going into our everyday life. <clears throat> How to bring this into our house? That's the question. You have been extremely prolific and extremely successful in communicating this paradigm, even to young people. And as you have written uh, contributions of your own, uh, the Phoenix Generation, but also writing articles and se sectors, entire chapters for books that I have authored. <clears throat> the quick, big, big challenge for our day is to find the way to communicate the new storyline in the way that people can live it. You know, bring this home to people. You know, the vehicle that took us so far doesn't work anymore. Now we have to find a way in which you communicate from inside, from inside out, from inside each of us. We are not separate beings after all. We belong together, we are members of the same species. And more is tying us than this DNA that we have a common consciousness, an evolving consciousness. Now, this is the powerful way that we could bring about a civilizational change, a change based on people's understanding of who they are and what the world is. But this understanding could very well be promoted and is being promoted, but has to be promoted even better than ever by, or by, uh, by stories, by coherent understandings of who we are and where we are going. As I said, you have been extremely prolific and extremely successful and efficient in communicating this new storyline. What do you think is the next slide? What is the best way in which, for example, we at the, at the, at the Laszlo Institute could promote the new storyline? So how can you help us, how can you collaborate in the publications of the Institute so that this becomes an efficient communication, a genuine one, not from the external world, but from insights from each of us. We are counting on you. Tell us a little bit your ideas. What do you think would be next step? What would be the best thing for us to do? <clears throat> well, Irvin, you, the thing about storylines, of course, is that the storylines, um, they are vehicles, of course, and it's like the germination. When you plant the storylines like seeds, they, they need time to germinate. And that's why, for example, we've talked about the, the, quantum, the quantum paradigm. Those seeds were planted 100 years ago in the 1920s when quantum mechanics first uh, came to the fore. It's taken 100 years to come where we are now. And the reason, for example, is why I, I sow in different fields. I, you know, I write for children, I write science fiction, I write academically. It's because... Um, you know, because we are diverse and we have to respect that, then we have to use different vehicles to, to um, let's say, transmit the story. But obviously those are vehicles, but the essence is what we need to bring together because uh, we have to recognise that although we're using different stories, which they, they may vary according to 
um, you know, the culture and um, the people that they uh, relate to, um, they have to have an essential coherency um, that then relates to the human condition. Because that's what, you know, that's what essentially we are connected by, the human condition. So although we have cultural variations and different forms of social conditioning and upbringing, um, there's something innate about us that we all share. And, and that, that can't be corrupted because it comes into us through our very being. So I think to go forward, we, although we're, using, we're talking about different institutions and different sectors of the paradigm, like the politics and the science and cosmos and consciousness, um, there is an underlying essentiality that I think we, we always have to um, come back to. And that essentiality is what we need to move forward as a, as a collective human species, because if we don't, then we're going to find, um, you know, certain fragmentations. And also, if we, don't, if we don't start now from a place of unity, whatever we create, if we come from a place of fragmentation, whatever we produce from that will carry on our fragmentation. So, you know, we have to take it forward from ourselves from a place of wholeness. So I think we also need to focus on our, what I would call our beingness. Because beingness is a unity. You know, you can't cut it up. You can't separate it. So I think when we look at these subsectors, these um, themes, as I say, different social sectors, we have to look at what is the what is the essential beingness of each area that connects people. I mean, exterior, you would take politics and you take it away to your different cultures and different countries, and you'd adapt that according to the requirements. But there has to be an essentiality which is coherent between all cultures. And, and that is what we need to go forward in, in what we call the new paradigm, is that it has an inner human unity, but it, then it has a utility that can be adapted to different cultural soils. And we have to respect that. You know, we, we can't... It's not about imposition or imposing a, a, a one pattern. It's imposing a one essential beingness that then could be adapted for social soils. Um, and I think we have to try to, to nurture that kind of understanding. It, it's, it's an external... Um, diversity but the beingness has to be human and consciousness orientated and that has to be the base of it absolutely right but this unity through literature can be embedded embedded in actual explicit stories and do you think this is part of our basic mission to do that to find these stories because the new paradigm is to come forth through the stories, through the storylines. Now, we have been articulating and are articulating this new paradigm in the language of science and our, our actual everyday, everyday life, politics, but you can also embed it in a new literature, in a new understanding of the human being. And I grew up, for example, <clears throat> if I look back now on, see how different it was, with some very great literary figures and their works, like Thomas Mann and Stefan Zweig and Guy de Maupassant and these people, you see, and uh, Somerset Maugham in England. And these uh, carried an idea of what a human being is, what, a, what an interesting and important human being is from the inside. But now we need an understanding of the human being carrying an essential message and having an essential oneness, as you say. You know, do we need to invent other stories or, or to embed that? Or can we use what there is and explain it, develop it in such a way? Because how do we how do we carry the nucleus of oneness in such a way that people can start feeling it, living it, as Alison was also saying in her introduction? That I think is a tremendous challenge. I think you can help on that. You can see your way forward in, in helping yourself doing have helping an institute do that. <clears throat> well, yes, sir, and I, I feel it's it's a it's a kind of recalibration. Um, it may not be you know reinventing something new, but recalibrating because you know we I think I feel that we have 
all that we need. To, we have the tools. We have the human capacity. It just perhaps hasn't been brought out yet. So I don't think we have to invent new tools. We have to, one, recalibrate what we have and also bring forward may, maybe latent capacities that haven't been brought forward yet. So those are two things. If I speak on the recalibration, for example, um, now Western modernity... Um, that we have been embedded in. Western modernity, has, has, all, has, especially after the Industrial Revolution, has talked about individualism. And I think that individualism perhaps has gone a bit too narrow, focused, because it's been, individualism had now come with materialism. And it's about, you know, we have to strive to, to, to kind of, you know, to better ourselves, but perhaps, you know, not necessarily at the betterment of others. And that's individualism. But it's, it needs to be recalibrated. It's not the same as individualization. Individualization is knowing that we are a pinpoint of consciousness as part of the whole unity consciousness. We are a pinpoint of that and we have a unique essence that belongs to our, our manifestation. But that individualization is not the same as individualism. So I think that's one recalibration is that to go forward... To have individualism as a dominating kind of uh, factor is not going to work, because I think so. That's a recalibration, and the other thing you know is um, we're coming to a point of emergency. That when when we are when we feel okay, emergency is coming down the line. You know, maybe I'll, I will kind of you know. Cross that bridge when I come to it. It's a very familiar phrase, you know, and we put it off. But now I think we're coming to a realization that that cannot be put off anymore. And when, and this is again, this goes back to the innate capacity of a human being. When we are on the precipice, you could say, when we are forced into a corner, the human being then brings out latent capacities of survival. Um, which have which have been haven't been manifested before, and I think we're now seeing that that for so long people are saying yes, okay, you know, you know, we're coming to certain tipping points, um, but we still have time. Well, now we don't because the very you know very survival of our unity is at stake, and I think we're seeing now people are are bringing more understanding out for them because it's that emergency is a kind of DNA nervous system reaction. We have to respond, not react, but respond. And I think there's two lines are coming together. One is a recalibration and one is a kind of re-emergence of a latent understanding. Now we're in emergency mode. So the question is, we have to bring a story, a narrative that works with recalibration and re-emergence. Wonderful. That is the key. A narrative that works with the recalibration. You can help with that. Alison, you'd like to talk to Kingsley yes, about I, this? Yes, I almost, when, when I was listening to Kingsley uh, speak about this, I almost heard the word recalibration celebration. And then what I heard was play uh, orientation and um, festivals and carnivals and the sense of youth that lives ongoing within each of us, no matter how developed we've become, no matter if we're a leader of a nation or corporation or just a normal adult living in our lives. I wonder if there's something yearning to be played with, and that is our young self. And could that be part of this transition to, to um, because there are festivals and rituals and cultural um, um, carnivals and so forth all over the world at various times throughout the year. So how important might some of those elements be to drawing forth the play and the wonder and the creative aspect of what this new paradigm is all about so that we get a little bit out of our minds and into our hearts, going out of our mind, I suppose, and into our hearts. Can that, can that element of play and artistic stimulation be creatively woven into this storyline so we get out of our minds? Oh, very much so. Um, you know, we are also not homo sapiens sapiens, but homo ludos. We are, you know, we are creatures of play, you know, and 
for me, I you know, living so many years in Andalusia, for example, they Andalusia still has the carnival um celebrations which were taken over from the Middle Ages. If you remember the writer Rabelais talked about the carnivals in the Middle Ages where for for like one a few days per year the people were allowed to actually just come out and say you know and, and have play and joy and even mockery of, of the of the you know the the king and queen. It was the only time ah. Though that the, the people could mock the king and queen because it was in a carnival kind of atmosphere, and that again that still goes on in, in Andalusia. But the important thing is, of course, that playing creativity and joy, which is a part of being human, it's been slightly stifled now. Yes. Um, and I think because, and I think also because what's happened, especially in the last, um, you know, eighteen months since twenty twenty, there's been an increase in anxiety mm. across the global organism. And and when we're in anxiety, um, you know, we almost feel kind of interior traumatized, which which kind of then makes mm -hmm. us nervous and also makes us fear. So I think we, we've kind of um, we're afraid to have joy. We're afraid to celebrate because mm -hmm. we feel we feel in this anxious mode. Now, on one on one level, it's okay. I mean, to be anxious makes understands that we know the situation is critical but it should not it should not block the ability to have creativity and 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 joy and celebration and this is also i think the line we have to maybe we can just discuss it about materialism is that materialism can can help us in our tools in our the way we engage with the exterior world but if we have too much of these material structures, we can stifle the human spirit and the human joy and human creativity. So we need that balance too. But I would say, to, I would say now, right now, the important thing is that we are in a moment of critical awareness, but critical awareness should not be the same as fear and anxiety and hibernation. You know, oh, yes. we're having a rest period to recalibrate, but let us not take the rest period and translate it into hibernation because we don't want to go back into a cave and hibernate. We want to rest, regather, recalibrate, go forth. So I think we should understand this moment as a recalibration into creativity, but not not to hibernate into the cave. Well said. I, I want to ask one other thing. Oh, please, Irwin, please. Well, yes. I think this is this is the task. This is the challenge in front of us. What you say is is this can carnival allowing people to to come forth a couple of times a year, at least? It is still alive today in Germany, for example, the fasching. You know, as you know, yes. at this time when things are free, you know, somehow everything can go. Morals are loosened up. And you can right. you can say what you want. You can behave in a different ways, and then it turns down. After that, it comes Ash Wednesday, and then becomes serious again. <laughs> but <laughs> even the German culture, which is known for its seriousness, for its tierische Ernst, that's very often criticized, its, its beastly seriousness, you know, it can loosen up. I am reminded of the time that I visited my native country, Hungary, while it was mm -hmm. under the communist rule. And uh, this, at that time, it, I was taken to a cabaret, political cabaret. And this political mm -hmm. cabaret was making fun of the leaders in such a way that if they would do anywhere else, they would put in prison right away, you know. And I was amazed. I was, I was embarrassed sitting there and listening to making them, people making fun of, of the great dictator Rakushi and, and, and the, all the other people that were around him. But they knew very well that allowing this to flourish and then go sitting, sitting there and laughing with the others, laughing at themselves, is a wonderful vent for all the pent-up emotions and resentment that has been going on. We I need have to some say, fun. we need this, some fun. This... <laughs> one, one other episode that is that comes to mind toward <clears throat> the end of World War Two. Uh, the last communique that came from the bunkers of, of Hitler in Berlin, a communique said that the situation is, seri is serious but not hopeless. <laughs> that was the last thing that they said. And then the, the Austrians, with their typical Viennese sense of humor, 
retranslated that they said the situation is hopeless but not that not serious <laughs> because for them for them you know the demise of the german nazi regime was not serious and for them it was glad that it's hopeless yeah. so this coming force this typical human and understanding of the world also as having fun in as having as enjoying as as flourishing in that world that has to be embedded in a way which, which is not frivolous and not pointless, but is points to the human condition, to the human critical condition that we have today. And I think the kind of work that you are doing, Kingsley, is, is a very, very important element of that. And the kind of work that we are trying also to bring into the Laszlo Institute, somehow to bring this new critical, essential understanding. Our situation is, is serious, but not hopeless. Indeed, serious but very hopeful because that's the lesson of the of a crisis that it's not just danger it's also opportunity it's a, it's a ray of hope as we have said in this book that we are talking about the dawn of a new age of well-being there can be a dawn born out of the crisis that we have today and our task is to help motivate that help embed it in the way that it can come forth and help people to come to terms with it, to light, light up the world, saying, aha, there is this hope. We are, after all, a species that can evolve, that can thrive. We can find a way and embed it in such a way that people understand it in the new story of where we are, how we can go. That is a tremendous challenge, and we are hoping, counting on you, Kingsley, and people like you, to bring it forth in a way that people can say, yes, this is the way I can live it, as Alison said in her introduction. Not just understand it intellectually, but living it. So thanks for, 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 for this wonderful joining us. Let's continue the conversation again as, as, as you wish. Well, I, I just wanted to say something because I so agree with you, Irvin, about Kingsley. And I, it recalls last year when we did the Source of Wonder four-day event, a remarkable event with so many, about 80 um, world-renowned speakers and artists. And what struck me about Kingsley, your, um, your presentation, was the creativity that you brought to the equation. So rather than do the traditional presenting your perspective about uh, source and uplift and wonder, you took it in a different direction. You conveyed, but you sat quietly in Andalusia uh, on the screen without opening your mouth, and you pre-recorded, obviously, the voice of your thoughts. And it was compelling. And it makes me think, well, just two things. I'll tell you what it makes me think of. But first, I just wanted to address, Irvin, your experience of fashion in Germany. Because I had gone to a fashion event several years ago. And I was struck by this Amazonian-looking creature. Because everybody dresses up in costumes, all kinds of extraordinary costumes. And this very tall, like seven foot tall Amazonian being looked slightly familiar. And when I looked in the light, in the corner of the room, and I observed the profile, I realized it was my lawyer, my very proper lawyer, who was now dressed in full regalia and makeup in the most crazy outfit and was having the, the best time ever. It was hilarious and uplifting also to see this very constricted, normally serious individual at play. This other aspect of his, his demeanor was able to vent itself, to liberate itself for a couple of moments that night. So Kingsley, I wanted to also refer to something that you have referred to, which is consensus reality. Uh, uh, because at it makes me think of certain very um, dynamic leaders who may not be the best leaders, but they have a charisma, a magnetism. And I will think of our last leader in the United States who may have, have been dubious in his ability to lead a nation, but he had a sense of play, a sense of this almost over-the-top comic um, outlandishness that people were riveted by. With 
with regard to consensus reality and AI and the emerging metaverse, for example, with Facebook, that's going to try to compete in reshaping consciousness, should we be concerned about magnetic cult leaders in the name of consciousness? Um, I mean, if each person is discovering their storyline in this new paradigm, whose storyline do we then abide by? Where do we draw the line about which is the defining new overall storyline? I think you're already talking about this earlier, but you want to address AI and the metaverse and, <laughs> and all of that? Sure. <laughs> That's a very important question, and it's a huge subject with AI and the metaverse and you know, the whole kind of shifting of, of, the, of the human sphere. Um, yes, I mean... Is it? Do, am I? Is there a concern about that area? There is a concern in the fact that, um, for example, you 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 made mention of my uh, sense of wonder presentation. Uh, one aspect of of the, the the reason why I did it that way is because I felt that it kind of engaged people to listen, because I I wasn't speaking, but I was representing a a, a kind of spoken word, and so I noticed that a kind of you had to listen, you wanted to listen to it. And I think this is the issue is that um, we may not always be listening in the right way. And this is because the social media, uh, which is now obviously the main player in creating the consensus, uh, consensus reality or consensus narrative, it draws people into it very easily, very quickly. But when it draws you in, it also signifies that it's, it's drawing you into it, which means it's drawing you away from yourself. And so... You know, without knowing about it, in the last, you know, the, the last few years, especially with the rise of um, the, the power of, of social media and technology, is we get pulled into these narratives. But, of course, they're highly manipulated because we know that behind social media, there's algorithms, there's bots. There's lots of anonymous players that have different agendas that we can't see clearly. There's an obscurity. So although we talk about the transparency of the online world, in fact, there's a lot of obscurity there. And so I think it, it can bring us in and we get pulled into narratives and we start to take things too seriously, which is why we start, people start to argue with each other or they troll each other and they, they have these flaming wars. And, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, you know we shouldn't always take this world so seriously because it's a world external to us and the more it pulls that energy out of there the 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 less we are centered in ourselves so yes you know these charisma and then the ai which obviously ai is working behind social media um we have to understand that at the core of the the, the genuine consensus reality is humanity and the unified consciousness which comes through humanity. Now, if we project those expressions of consciousness through AI or the metaverse, then we are one step away from the grounding of humanity. Now, in some ways, it may work. We can use, you know, online for meeting like we are now. We can use AI for, for regulating certain infrastructures. But as soon as that we cross the line and AI starts to um, kind of take us away from our essential humanity, then I think, you know, we are missing something. So the consensus reality should always be brought back into what is the essential human. And we have to allow more of this wonderful flow of consciousness to come through us. We have to allow this beingness, this, this joy of being human. And essentially, we have to find meaning in 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 being and and in fact just to be there's meaning but that gets that gets kind of lost in like i have to do something to give myself meaning i have to accomplish x y z today today i have to do this well whoa, whoa, whoa. wait wait rest a little bit you know don't always have to live a 25 25 hour day step back breathe and just allow yourself to be and find meaning exactly where you are right now. So the consensus narrative can veil ourselves to ourselves and that's what we should be, be careful about. Mm, I love that. That's love the great, great challenge that, that we are facing. 
conveying now something that we believe, I think, and it'd be rightful belief that it's more true about human being, what we are articulating through this new paradigm of oneness, quantum paradigm or the new new science paradigm, is something more true about our human humanness than the superficial ideas that we have had, that we are still having. Because this new paradigm talks about non-separation, talks about the essential oneness that we have with life around us, a life with the, with the planet and the oneness of the planet with the universe. So I think there is something probably is closer to reality. We never know reality firsthand. We know it through our ideas, through our visions. We, we embed it in somehow. But perhaps this is truer than the, the, the superficial ideas of, this, when, of the Western individual, which was being extolled as, as being the, the absolute highest reality. Everything else is imagination. After all, what exists is the human individual, and his or her well-being is, is the only thing that we need to worry about. And that has brought mm-hmm. us to the, to the, the difficult threshold that we are facing, a threshold of, of crisis today, because if you think of only one, if you think of what uh, Tom said, America first, then what happens to, to the world that is non-America, you know? And America is a part of the world. If you take it out, mm-hmm. separate it, you know, then it will, you won't do much benefit to America itself, because ultimately you can't thrive in a world which is degenerating, which is has full of conflict. And and, and and decay. So the new reality, the new reality that we are embedding is perhaps is closer to that absolute truth which we'll never access directly, but we can reach intuitively. We can articulate this oneness, this wholeness, you know, and this this world which where love is a real fact, is, is something, an element that binds people together. If that can come to the surface, as I think it comes to the surface through all great art, if we can do that purposefully and create works that put it in a way, as we are saying here, in a way which the essential shines forth, you see, then I think we are making a contribution. It's a contribution to human understanding and to human evolution, the evolution of the civilization in which we live a great, great challenge before us. But it's people like Kingsley who can really help us do this. We need, we need creative writers, creative thinkers who can translate from science into, uh, into the deeper reality of our consciousness in such a way that we can come home, home not to the superficial uh, hunt for hunting for, for advantage and for profit and power, but come home to our essential nature, which is to be coherent with each other and with the world around us. This, I think, we dedicate ourselves to this. We are doing something which is objectively good and objectively is a help, is a facilitation of this tremendous evolutionary process in which we now find ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. And um, if, if I may follow on from that, Irvin, you know, you mentioned a key word there, which is articulation. And I know that um, as part of the, the New Paradigm Institute, that articulation is, is very central because it's, it's ha- you know, as you say, art, we can get intuitive sense from art. It speaks to us without language. But of course, we have the responsibility now to, to represent the, the new way forward, the new paradigm, the new world, but we have to articulate it. And, you know, the ancient the ancient traditions and, and the wisdom traditions, you know, they they... they they passed on this this understanding of this unity um, that is, you know, this cosmos, cosmos is unified uh, consciousness. And now we have to articulate that in, in the modern language. So, you know, we have to be mindful of what language we use. And any language, because obviously we're using new language now, especially with technology and artificial intelligence. These are new words, new vocabulary. But we have to make sure that the vocabulary we use is not one of polarity. You know, people are thinking there's humanity and there's AI and there's two different things. Well, if you have two different futures and two different evolutionary streams, you have a split. 
How can we have a split when we're living in a unified reality? It doesn't work. So, you know, and so AI or technology is something which can work as part of humanity, to enhance humanity. It's not separate, it has to be an enhancement. And so everything we, we talk about, we talk about the exterior institutions, they are have to be part of uh, an enhancement of the human evolution and the human condition. They're not separate. So I think we've been trying for the last few decades to move away from these vocabulary of separation and polarity. And, that, and that's why it's key now, to, you know, in the work that we do and the work that the Institute does is to articulate the way forward whereby there is not this them and us and, and that thing and us, you know, and, and the other thing is that they are, they are composite elements that create this wholeness. And, you know, the, and we have to understand that, you know, we see the different colours in the tapestry, but the tapestry is, is one story. And so, you know, we have to be careful when we use language that we're not using language of separation. And uh, and that is, again, with social media, is so easily done. But as you say, through your work, Irving, in the Institute, the language that's been used of, of the new paradigm is very carefully um, put together. Indeed. On my side, Alison, and of course, Christopher Kingsley, I would like to thank you for this <laughs> illuminating discussion. It sometimes happens, it's, it's a rare thing, but in this series that we are doing, keeps occurring. But I can say, I can subscribe to everything that has been said, to every word. And often I can say, uh, as uh, comically has been said, I wish uh, I would have said that, and actually I'm trying to say this, but you are saying, but Alison has been articulating as well, articulate this, this new vision of oneness which is essential, which is really us. And when we do that, people don't say that's funny. They will say only perhaps funny in the sense, not of, not of, 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 of strange, funny in the sense that I have known this. I, I knew this. And I'm coming back to what I have been really thinking and, and living. Well, you are helping with this. You're doing a tremendous job, Kingsley. Alison with this series. And Fred Sau, who are partner in, in, in sponsoring and running this series, I think all of us are dedicated to this mission. So I would say I'm encouraged by having people like this around me. I would say let's move forward, let's go together, let's keep in touch, not only through our in embedded consciousness, which is the ultimate thing, but also doing our best to articulate it in such a way that we are in touch through the articulate consciousness that we are bringing forth in the world. Thanks again. May I add to that the word articulate? Articulate. <laughs> so it's already fused. It's already one. <laughs> Let's have a meaning of being party and celebrate it. And however, how will you both dress up if we go to a meaning of our being party? Let's think about that and reconvene sometime on another podcast. I, I want to thank both of you so much for today's really enriching and, uh, again, enlightening discussion and enlightening to lighten up because there is a heavy load, a heavy burden that people are feeling consciously or unconsciously. And I think Kingsley and Irvin, what you are discussing and bringing forth, you know, physically into the world is going to have long-term impact and meaning. So I just want to thank you both. And once again, um, uh, we're concluding today's very riveting discussion with Kingsley Dennis. I'm Alison Goldwyn with our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Sowen, uh, thanking you for, for joining us and inviting you to come back for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing and consider that the holiday season is fast upon us. It may not feel like a holiday for many people, and this book makes a wonderful gift of uplift. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us, so when building a new paradigm for humankind, let's try to include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. And now to conclude our program, here are some thoughts from our co-host, Fred Sal. The first one is, uh, how do we find a way to communicate insight 
to realize the connectedness of the whole of humanity. So that would be the first question. How do we connect, communicate inside to realize this connectedness with the rest of humanity? How do you communicate internally with yourself? Internally with ourselves? No, it communicates itself. We are one big communication system. Whether biochemical or electrical, magnetical, we are communicating. All 50 trillion cells are communicating. It's not only communicating among themselves, it's also communicating with outsides because every cell has a microtubular connector uh, or receptor. They're actually receiving information. And then our belief systems are affecting it. So it's reading the DNA, which is all information about existence. And so the communication system is, is very important. And uh, our thoughts uh, disturb it, our body chemistry, our lifestyle, our everything. And so how do you communicate? No, it communicates. Stop interfering with the communication, with our desire, with our delusional um, material world existence, and it will communicate well by itself. It's not what we do to communicate, it's what we do to help it restore communication most perfectly as it was built to be. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Piba DuPont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sau, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week. 